Welcome to another episode of We Are Carbon. I'm Helen Fisher and I'm joined by Sophia Hamblin-Wong of MCI Carbon to discuss their engineering technology that's transforming carbon dioxide into solid, valuable building materials. It's a little different for us to turn our attention to industry, but there's a beautiful parallel to regenerative agriculture here in that we're shifting to see CO2 as an asset that feeds our plants or, in this case, could build our homes. We hear a lot of noise about the need to meet net zero targets in the near future, but for many industries there simply isn't a clear path yet to getting there. MCI are looking to change that with a particular focus on difficult to abate yet highly depended upon sectors including steel, cement and mining. As a pathway to transition to a net zero future, they're utilising technology to speed up mineral carbonation. As a natural process, CO2 does become bound and locked into rocks, but it takes hundreds of millions of years. You can learn more about the process itself in the episode on accelerated mineral weathering with Kelly Earhart, so I'll pop a link to that one in the description. But within their engineering plants, MCI are speeding up the process to mere minutes. They can take flue gas emissions and bring that CO2 into a circular economy, by utilising it as a significant ingredient within a wide range of materials, including high-value plasterboards and cements and concrete. This is intentionally highly scalable and designed to work with industrial partners to build out localised circular industrial ecosystems. And it's all motivated by profitable models without the need to lean on carbon credits or subsidies. There's a huge amount of potential here and it was a great pleasure to dive into the details with Sophia. New episodes of this podcast are added every other Tuesday and they're available in both video and audio only formats. You can find them on YouTube and your favourite podcasting platform. So don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date. Right, let's get stuck in. Welcome, Sophia. It's a great pleasure to have you here today to talk to us. And I think if you could just get get us kicked off with a quick introduction to yourself and also to MCI Carbon. Thank you so much, Helen. The pleasure is all mine to be here. Um, so my name is Sophia Hamblin-Wong and I'm the COO of a company called MCI Carbon. Um, we're a technology platform um, that transforms carbon dioxide into building materials and other valuable products for the circular economy. Um, I'll talk a lot more about MCI, but uh, I guess I'll just begin by telling you um, what motivates me and what my purpose is. Um, So I joined MCI almost 10 years ago now, um, and I was actually doing a PhD in corporate social responsibility. So my um, passion and my academic area was in um, creating business models that make the world a better place. And um, I've dedicated basically all of my work in um, creating those business models in order to achieve um, broadly the sustainable development goals. And um, MCI has been um, just an unbelievably rewarding place to work. And um, so I joined as the very first employee. There were the two co-founders who thought of the idea. And then I came on board to negotiate the um, research collaboration agreements, hire the team and um, get the project off the ground. And uh, yeah, now we're um, a technology that's based in Australia and we have around 45 employees, um, mostly chemical engineers, process engineers and geologists. It's really very exciting. It sounds like a wonderful opportunity for your own career. And that things have moved very quickly since that starting day. Well, uh, my, I really have had a, I'll have to say like a, a very, a very accelerated um, career path um, working with MCI. The um, really being able to talk about industrial decarbonisation uh, and commercialising technologies that are going to help the world to get to net zero. Uh, That message has really connected with a lot of audiences. And through my work with MCI, I've been able to present at the World Economic Forum in Davos. I've been able to um, be 
promote the technology on a lot of world stages. And uh, I think now um, both my voice and MCI's voice have really um, been strengthened. So we're we're really featured on a lot of the the biggest forums in the world talking about net zero technologies and um, the circular economy. So I have to say I've been extremely lucky and um, I always look to help other people to um, build their careers in the space as well, because when I made the brave decision to quit my PhD, the industry really didn't exist. So it was really um, really taking a gamble um, and believing in the technology and the business model and the team. And um, there's still an element of uh, the technology still needs to be developed a bit more, but it's it's really looking positive and it's really exciting to be able to talk to you more about it today. Yeah, how exciting indeed. It's It sounds like it's really paying off and I, I'm just delighted for this. It's a slightly, slightly different topic for us in terms of we're talking about manufacturing and industrial production and moving that in the direction of being circular and net zero. And because it's just that little bit different, I think it would be a fantastic sort of setting the stage for us if you could maybe touch on some of the challenges that do exist within these industries how how can a a business for example a manufacturing business meet net zero goals how can they be circular when they're sort of really driven by this this sort of fossil fuel and and pushing things forward in sort of dirty industry if you like so maybe if you could just sort of give us a very sort of high level overview and and even if it just touches on some of the production lines that you offer solutions to. Absolutely. Uh, so I'll talk a little bit about um, what a net zero future is going to look like and what the transition to that future also looks like. So um, we know that in order to um, de- fully decarbonise our economy, we're going to need to do um, a variety of things including uh, electrify everything and uh, apply uh, many different technologies into the energy sector. Um, But we also have this really important problem and opportunity, which is decarbonising the hard-to-abate sectors like the steel, cement, chemicals and uh, mining uh, industries um, in particular. And uh, also, if we are to overshoot our 1.5 degree targets, then we also will be needing to um, suck CO2 out of the atmosphere in the future. And if you are to suck CO2 out of the atmosphere, then you need viable places to either store or utilize that technology. Um, And so MCI Carbon has been uh, developing a technology platform that can operate to decarbonize or create a a viable um, solution into these different fields. Now, we've chosen to partner with the steel and cement sectors uh, in particular because um, a lot of people don't really understand or realize that the steel industry um, has um, has heat processes that aren't easily um, decarbonized through um, through electrification and alternative technologies are going to take 10 to 20 um, years uh, to develop and also the cement industry um, the the um, largest part of the emissions from the cement industry comes from geogenic emissions So it's actually um, the CO2 is released from the calcining or from the process of the creation of the cement itself. So um, these um, key two products will have carbon emissions so long as we as a society need steel and cement. So um, sorry if that's um, being a a bit too basic, but we really do um, both need to build infrastructure for the future and also find ways to decarbonize that infrastructure. 
Um, what MCI Carbon does is we we partner with those industries and um, take the emissions and um, turn the emissions into um, new materials. So create whole new pathways. And I can go um, into that a bit more um, later. What the um, the manufacturing industries are doing right now is they are understanding the full supply chain carbon footprint of their products. So they're understanding what their suppliers and their customers are emitting, and they're they're really um, getting down to um, the truth of what the emissions profile is of their product. Um, and as we start to have um, full information um, uh, um, validity and integrity, then um, then customers are going to start to make decisions based upon um, that that proper um, data. And as that starts to happen, then companies are going to um, have pressure to um, both decarbonize and also see um, a real opportunity around the marketing of those products as well. Yeah, no, that's wonderfully, wonderfully explained. So these two very significant building materials, steel and concrete, which we most people would acknowledge they're they're essential to, to the way that we build today, to the way that we know how to build. And we use them in vast quantities. We hear quite large numbers about the amount of emissions that come from the construction industry, huge percentage across the globe. And what you've just sort of outlined there is that steel can't be manufactured from solar power, for example. You can't, you can't take that route of renewable energy because it cannot be produced from electric. Yeah. That's exactly uh, right, yes. Yeah, and then on the other hand, the, the concrete, it's, it's not about how it's powered, it's just an actual chemical reaction within the process producing those emissions. And, of course, if the, the transparency that you described, I think that's, that's the first stage to anything, isn't it? Identifying how much is being um, actually contributed throughout the whole of that supply chain. So that is very, very um, fantastic outline for us. That's that's really helpful, certainly helpful to me. So, so taking that sort of into the idea of what you're doing, you're taking carbon dioxide, which is a gas, and actually converting that into solid bulk materials. And before we look into the applications of those materials, I think it would be fantastic if you could offer a little touch point on how that's actually possible. I'm always happy to talk about the science. <laughs> so um, um, MCI, we really, um, we're really, our core focus and what we're really good at is making the uh, minerals really absorbent to CO2 and focusing on getting the CO2 to be locked away into the mineral. We take a variety of um, industrial wastes or virgin feedstocks um, and we react those minerals to CO2 and um, that creates a solid output and then we work with large industrial customers on those solid outputs. So I'll use an example um, of um, serpentinite, which is a, a magnesium silicate rock. It's highly abundant in the Earth's crust. It's an ultramafic rock. And I know you have uh, covered um, enhanced weathering in one of your other um one of your other episodes. So um, I know that your audience has a, um, a good basic understanding already, but we take magnesium silicate rock and then we um, pre-treat it. So we'll crush and grind and heat activate that um, mineral. And then we will process it in our state-of-the-art reactor um, that we have running um, every day in Newcastle, Australia. Um, we'll turn, we'll um, combine that rock with um, with water to create a slurry, and then we will bubble the CO two um, throughout that slurry, um, and it's the bubbling of the CO two through the the rock mixture that um, makes the rock absorb the CO two, and that will create magnesium carbonate and silica, and those are our two key outputs. 
Now, um, the magnesium carbonate, we, um, we have a, um, a plasterboard or drywall um, application. So um, this um, block that you can see here, it's a, um, it was carbon emissions a month ago um, from an ammonia plant. And uh, now 50% of this block by weight is CO2 and it's a, a negative emissions building material. Um, so that's quite exciting. And then um, with the silica, we, uh, we work on um, novel cement applications. Um, so it's a supplementary cementitious um, product. Um, and this block here is a 30% um, silica product from our process, which means it's a 30% reduction in emissions. For every tonne of CO, for every tonne of cement that's created in the world right now, one tonne of CO2 is released into the atmosphere. So with this block, um, for every tonne of this that is created, we're stopping 300 tonne, uh, 300 kilos of CO2 from going into the atmosphere. So those, that's just a um, basic example of one of the um, one of the pathways that we do, but it's a, a really good one to show um, the way that our platform works. It's um, which can take a variety of inputs to create a variety of outputs. Yeah, no, that excites me. I find it really interesting the way that it's kind of bespoke to the situation that you need. And it's also very exciting to see them there in your hands. I know a lot of people will be listening rather than watching this, but the that 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 is just um to to think that that's the problem we're all talking about the emissions in the atmosphere and now it's there for you to hold but not just to hold it it's actually replacing the need to make a product that would otherwise have emitted and and that that kind of ties sort of it accentuates the impact doesn't it? it it it's really very fantastic that's exactly right. So we should be focusing on embedding the emissions into a product itself. So doing something with the emission, but also displacing downstream high carbon intensity inputs, um, which is um, why we can say that this is a, um, an exciting carbon negative material. Yeah, fantastic. And like you said, we did have an episode and I'll make sure that that's available for people to look at if they'd like to consider that process um, from its natural point of view, mineral weathering or um, accelerated weathering, as we spoke to Kelly Earhart about that. And in this um in this discussion today, we're focusing on the material application. So rather than just accelerating that process, how do we actually repurpose those emissions? to replace some of the products that we actually need. And I think that's really very exciting. Absolutely. And I think the, the key point is that it will take a thousand different technologies in order for us to get to net zero. And different technologies are applicable and suitable in different locations with different economics. And um, the, the key difference between what we do and what the um, enhanced weathering application um, does is um, although it's based upon pretty much the same chemistry in that, you know, the earth naturally absorbs CO2 over time. Um, and um, we are an engineered ex situ application. So we, we take rocks and we, um, we carbonate them in an engineered way, um, in an engineering plant. But because we do it that way, we're able to scale up into the billions of tons of CO2 locked away um, in the future. So we really created purposefully from day one, a business pathway that would be able to lock away billions of tons of CO2. We, um, every step of the way, we've chosen to partner with the industries with the feedstock providers and with the CO2 providers that can allow us to get to that, um, the, the mega, mega and gigaton scale. No, that, that is so, it's phenomenal numbers. It really is very, very um, extraordinary. Um, so in terms of the process itself, nature knows how to do that. Nature sort of designed that as part of this very, very sort of millions of years, if you like, sort of carbon cycle where the atmospheric carbon gets dissolved and, and integrated and um, 
attached to the rocks and then it's permanently held there. And then when we spoke about accelerated weathering, that was a, a in a in a sense, in a nutshell, really oversimplifying it. The process was accelerated by deliberately breaking down those rocks and making them very, very small particulates that then was exposed to the carbon in the water that accelerated it vastly. That that was a huge, huge acceleration. But what you've done is taken that even further in terms of time and the speeding up of that process through putting it into an engineered setting with equipment and you're bubbling the carbon dioxide through the material and it's fixing to those feedstocks. And yeah, that those those numbers are very difficult to grasp. I think when we talk in we, we talk into the millions and the billions, I don't know if it's just me, but it's hard to hard to sort of picture it and get your head around. But I think it's very, very significant um and and everything's going in the right direction. Helen, you're absolutely right. And uh what we've done is we've taken the process from millions of years into minutes in our pilot plant. Um, and then once the the carbonate is produced, then we're putting it into the built environment. So we're putting it to good use um, and we're making money from it, um, which is another key thing because um, what we understand about uh, scaling climate technology is that if you have a viable business model, then you can proliferate the technology much faster than just waiting for um, industries to do it out of the goodness of their heart or um, from some moral obligation. Um, so we're, um, we've really tried to focus on doing that which can be adopted quickly as well. Not that um, other, not that other um, enhanced weathering technologies are not um, not doing that. Uh, like I said, there there are so many really great technologies out there. Um, we're just um, one of them. Yeah. It's like I think everybody in this space they they acknowledge the need to to do multiple solutions, everything that we can side by side. That's what it's going to take, and and this is a really fascinating. Like I say, it is somewhat different to what we normally talk about because it's. Um, we often on the on the podcast we're talking about working with nature and regenerating with nature. This is um, it's a wonderful sort of way of of sort of bringing that into it because it is still using the chemistry that nature provides to us, but um, repurposing that in our own hands, putting the control in our hands to to fit into the society that we've built, which is um, it is what part of the problem, isn't it? Is that if we, we're trying to slot um, such a dramatic change into a system that is perpetually moving forward. It can't put the brakes on and stop building and stop um, increasing the population and the need to build. So um, yeah, every single opportunity is is a really big part of the puzzle. If I could, I'd love to just uh, sort of outline a few of the details of the opportunity that is here. So you've shown us a product, and I think you may be touched on this already. The plasterboard was 50% by weight CO2 emissions. Yes. Um, so, so that's, I, I was going to ask you how significant as an ingredient is that CO2 within those materials? So it's, it's a pretty high percentage, yeah? Yes. So the applications of the CO2 obviously range uh, from a, a, a smaller percentage uh, with higher value applications all the way through to higher percentages um, in, a, in less value applications. So um, yeah, the um, I think the plasterboard drywall um, magnesium carbonate product is um, compelling because it's it's high value and um, high carbon um, input, and um, so that's I don't know. It's it's really exciting because CO two as an ingredient is um, quite um, useful, um, and as soon as you um, one of the principles of the circular economy is that there's no such thing as waste. There's only molecules in the wrong time, the wrong place and the wrong shape or phase. And so um, if as soon as you um, stop seeing CO2 as a um, hazardous waste and start imagining it as a valuable input, then it does unlock lots of um, alternative uses. 
And so our um, our chemical engineers and um, and our team have really been looking at every part of our life, that everything that we touch in our house, in our industries, um, even you know in in our built environment largely, um, and really thought about where we can embed carbon emissions, um, and that's really important for the transition in particular. Yeah. And that is actually that outlines really what I see as the connecting kind of theme here to, to the other things that we speak about. There's this huge parallel. It might not be obvious because we're talking about industry, but there's a huge parallel with regenerative agriculture because we're, we're sort of taught to see carbon as an asset. Carbon is a building block of life. Carbon is plant food. And in this case, carbon is this valuable ingredient that builds the materials that we need. And, and that's really fantastic. Um, the other thing I'd like to sort of just dig into, I suppose, quickly, because I think it's something people will sort of be thinking through the process themselves. You are still using a factory setting, so it's um, it's still industrial production. You've got um, a, a big space. You've got a, presumably equipment to run and operate. So in that regard, is the CO2 that's being drawn into the product and utilised, is that vastly outweighing what is being taken to operate the facilities? Yes, fantastic question. Uh, so we... From the very first day that we started the company, we have always been uh, intentionally carbon negative. So we do full life cycle assessments from go to woe to ensure that we are locking away more CO2 into the products than we are burning in the process itself. Now, um, obviously, the carbon economics, or to use um, a bit of jargon, the techno-economics of our process uh, are, can vary depending on which industries we're plugging into and which applications we, um, we result in. So um, with that caveat, we are, um, we are the best, one of the best people in the world to assess and to deliver um, carbon negative pathways for industry. We would be uh, co-locating with the steel, cement, uh, mining um, and chemicals um, industries and uh, producing the outputs. And I think um, the, the large amount of the outputs would be um, extremely carbon negative yeah so i mean the different industries have different carbon um negative or um carbon neutral appetites and so um that's been quite fascinating from my perspective is i'm um, talking to different industries about how quickly they want to decarbonize and um how much they would like to invest in order to unlock the you know the the really um the really big opportunities and yeah, that's we're well well down that path now. Yeah, no, that is interesting. So there's certain materials in particular that are more eager than than others, so to speak. Yeah, yeah, I'd say so. And um, in in particular, we are uh, we just um, just took uh, some investment and um, an accelerated customer in RHI Magnesita which is the largest refactories company in the world. And so they build, um, they, they provide the refactory bricks to line kilns for the cement and steel industry. And uh, that is a whole new product application that we hadn't really anticipated when we first started the organisation. But absolutely, the refactories industry need pathways to decarbonise. They have also geogenic uh, CO2 um, from their process and MCI, is, um, they did a global search and chose MCI as their um, the number one technology um, to decarbonise their industry. And so um, different, um, different industrial customers and pathways have different risk appetites and different in, um, investment appetites. 
And we've been really um, fortunate to have found customers and partners and funders that are in it for the long haul. They're willing to invest in technologies that are going to take more than five years to make a return on investment. Um, although it's not um, much more, but still it's more than five years. And so we're really, um, we've been looking for the um, industrial customers that understand that and who can help us to help to fund us and um, be a part of some part of the carbon supply chain that we're creating. I find this bespoke sort of side of it actually really exciting. I don't know if it's just, it, it feels like um, there's so many opportunities, so many options. And um, like you say, you speak to different um, people in different industries. They know their industry inside out in ways that you couldn't imagine utilizing this. They, they, they can sort of tie you in with that. So that's, it, it can ever evolve by the sounds of things. And um, I think because it, it becomes complicated when we start to think about all of the different potentials. But to to outline this, the carbon dioxide is a key ingredient. It then has to be attached to a feedstock, essentially. And those feedstocks are what can vary. And you've mentioned that you can have low quality quarried mined materials, basically virgin materials can be quarried for this. You also can use waste materials. And I think that's another aspect that seems so beautiful in making this circular is that the, the sort of feedstock also can be a waste material. Could you maybe touch on a few of those feedstock options and how they might impact the potential applications that they're suitable for? Absolutely. Uh, so the basic chemical reaction that we're doing is we're taking, um, we're attaching the CO2 to a magnesium or a calcium molecule, um, you know, as our, our key pathway that's creating magnesium carbonate or calcium carbonate. And so uh, the key industrial wastes that we are working with our customers on are steel flags and incinerator bottom ash from the cement industry and also mine tailings um, and the, the the biggest opportunity in many respects is in the nickel industry um, we've got um, key uh, magnesium pathways there but also there are applications in the lithium and cobalt industries too and um, we know that um, the transition minerals and metals are the most important to decarbonize because they're the key metals that are going to get us to net zero. So um, MCI has um, focused on um, minimizing the tailings waste from the mining industry and um, and steel slags and cement um, waste. Now um, the applications um, obviously vary based upon which industry it is but um, in the steel industry example we create a, um, a precipitated calcium carbonate and that is um, you know um, quite quite an exciting application and quite high product markets um, and product confidence um, and all the way down to um, lower value applications within the mining industry um, where we'll, we would look to create um, lower quality, um, 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 just even backfilling mines and um, other low quality pathways. Um, that, that it still ends up being um, carbon negative and economically viable, even if you are just remediating um, the mine site itself. Okay, so at the one hand, that calcium carbonate can be very sort of pure, and that can become a plasterboard, for example, and that can be utilized within the construction of a home or a building. And on the other hand, you're locking the CO2 emissions into waste that's coming out of the mine to then remediate that mine in a positive way because it's taking some of those emissions back in with it and then presumably helping to to, to put the site in good order after it's been quite sort of manhandled and uh, yeah torn to pieces so yeah that that is a very vast range of applications 
And Helen, that's it. So I don't want to overwhelm you or the listeners um, because there are so many applications um, that, that we can do. Um, but, you know, the, the core focus is on fixing the CO2 into the mineral and doing that in the maximum amount of quantities as possible. Um, but the, one of the key things that we've been trying to do is um, partner with industrial sources of CO2 in this short and medium term because we want to be stopping CO2 from going into the atmosphere right now. We really want to focus on stopping emissions right now. Um, but in the long term, um, we can absolutely be partnering with direct air capture technologies when once they are um, scaled up and viable. And uh, in that um, in that time scale, we can be um, just sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere and locking it straight back down into the earth at the at minimum, um, but ideally with um, downstream uses. But when you're looking at trying to um, remediate climate change and um, really um, stopping using the atmosphere as a sewer and start cleaning it up, then um, we have to be open to a lot of different um, applications. And so that's really where I see the um, the short, medium and long-term um, applications of our technology. Yeah, and it seems like there's so many technologies being developed side by side, like you've discussed or you've mentioned there the direct air capture and, and saying that when that develops further, when that's ready to be scaled up. So there's so many different things that are in fact in motion and um, yeah, under development. So you are currently seeking the CO2 as a waste product. How, how, what is your main source for the CO2? So the main sources that we um, are, are looking to integrate with are the steel, cement, and refractories industry. Um, but at, uh, did I mention that we're about to put shovels in the ground for our demonstration plant in Newcastle? So oh, we that's are exciting. Yeah. So uh, we will be um, locking away between one and three thousand tons of CO two per annum. Um, in that facility and the facility itself uh, it will be built next to an ammonia um, factory um, so we'll be taking the co2 from that facility um, but the the um, integration will be built with um, flue gas um, um, with a, um, a, a flue gas gas synthesizer so we um, the idea is that um, when we work with a, um, a steel slag customer, they will um, provide us with their mineral. And then we will ask them, what's your composition of flue gas? Um, what percentage CO2, NOx, SOx, etc.? They'll tell us and we will um, simulate that flue gas in our process and um, create the key outputs so they can validate the business model and the techno-economics and then um, decide to build the, the scale-up version of that plant at their facility. And so that's how um, we will be, that's how we will be running our, um, our plant. And it's super exciting because we just um, just got DA approval. So we will be putting shovels in the ground any day now in, um, in Newcastle. Very, very good. So the, the, the CO2 is directly coming from the flu of the manufacturing. And yes, so, yeah, so in this case. I, I like this. It's kind of taking us off um, as more opportunities, more things to consider and get our minds around. But I find it really interesting and exciting because when we think about being circular, we've got to keep those um, those building blocks in motion. They're no longer going to be considered waste. They're being transformed, reutilized, taken back round. And that can be a natural um, compost process or in this case a more industrialized process and something that we come across a lot in grassroots initiatives that really helps things become circular is the idea of community and having localization and what you're describing is kind of the industrial version of that it's like an ecosystem of businesses so you've got the plant that has the processing of the co2 gas and attaching it to the feedstock, but then in close proximity to that, 
you've got some other business that is producing the waste and also the gas. So it's it's feedstocks and gas in close proximity coming to you and then keeping that in motion. So do you then have partnerships in the ideal sort of future sort of built up scenario that then the material that you provide goes to a local manufacturer of whatever that 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 kind of suits absolutely so uh there there's two key things i want to pull out of that uh one is that we need three things to be successful and those three things should be around 100 kilometers radius of each other we need a source of co2 and that CO2 can be flue gas or low um, quality CO2 down to around 15%. We need a feedstock, which has either magnesium or calcium in it. So it can be a low quality virgin material or it can be a, um, an industrial waste. And then we need a local market to buy the product. And if we have those three things, then we are economically viable um, and by the way, a carbon price is just um, the cherry on top. It's not what we rely on in order to be um, to be profitable. So um, yes, we do need a local market. But one of the um, one of the things that we're really good at, and one of our core capabilities, is in looking at what local markets exist. What um, what were what amount of product we could be putting into existing markets, but also what new products could be unlocked if there were negative emissions profile materials that became available. Because you don't just have what's what's in demand right now, but you also have to imagine what might be in demand in the future if you had a um you know a magnesium calcium carbonate product that was um negative emissions profile that could displace other things so um that's um one key point um the other is around communities and we have always always talked about the industrial ecology of our process now we really do bring together a lot of different industries into one um, and we bridge the, the circular carbon economy bridges a lot of um, different industries together and it then it takes a little bit of rejigging in some respects in order to unlock the real synergies and the value um, but it, it's it's a real pleasure to do that as well because um Sometimes a steel customer is close by with a cement customer, but they never really work together. And um, if you had a, a carbonation facility near both of those things, then there could be, you know, whole new opportunities unlocked. Um, so we, we really look at the industrial ecology and how different things will integrate and, um, and try to find pathways to make that possible. In Australia, where we um, have our, our where our demonstration plant is going to be build, built, um, it's the largest coal port in the world. Um, we have our um, workforce, our 45 people workforce, who are mostly chemical engineers, geologists and process engineers. Many of them, most of them have come from the coal industry or um or coal aligned industry and have reimagined and repurposed their careers in order to um, work on technologies that are going to be part of the climate solution and so um we've really um tried to create um uh, values alignment with our employees with our customers and with our investors on ensuring that we're all on the race to net zero um, and where we are also um, actively looking at what sort of future industry are we going to have in the transition? Um, what sort of 
jobs are we going to have in Newcastle um, and um, all around the world? Um, what sort of jobs are we going to create in the um, communities that may be experiencing a downturn when we have um, less reliance on fossil fuels? And so MCI Carbon's um, business model and our, our core, um, the, the features of what we do in transforming minerals into um, um, sustainable minerals, um, it's, it's around bulk processing and materials handling and um, sustainable engineering. And these are, these are key capabilities that are, will be um, accessing people and, and communities that kind of need just transition pathways. So it's, and that's something that motivates me as well. Yeah, the people side of it is is huge, isn't it? That that need to have consistency with job availability and development of their careers and and purpose driven careers as well. That's that's very lovely. I would like to to touch on the um, the applications. We've we've done this already, but I just kind of want to just throw it out there and just see how broad it can be, because we've talked about the construction materials and the plasterboard and the cement. Um, potential um, replacements. Um, but am I right in thinking it can also sort of suit for pharmaceuticals and um, other sort of quite quite different variety of products? Yes. So there are applications that we've worked actively in, uh, in things like um, carpet backing, in washing detergents and uh, paper and uh, I, I tell you that there's um, there are so many different applications. Obviously, um, you can place um, the carbonates into um, into pharmaceutical applications as well. And there are a myriad of um, of uh, lower scale, um, higher value applications. Um, and I um, MCI Carbon hasn't focused on those just because of the scale aspect, but. There's no reason why we couldn't in the future. And also, there's probably some other amazing companies that are, are focusing on that. Yeah, so they're very versatile um, ingredients that you're producing. And in essence, the MCI carbon plants would be a hub in the centre of a sort of ecosystem. Um, you you produce, a, it's like a a, a an ingredient for a manufacturer to then take on? Is it like a powder that you create? Yes. So we create two key powders, the carbonates and silica, and we work with the largest cement, plasterboard, um, carpet, you know, the largest manufacturers of those products in the world on novel applications um, of their um, novel formulations of their materials and um, also just um, validating that the, um, the products that we produce are um, e equivalent to um, what they're already using, if not better. So um, that's actually really, uh, really working out well as well. We've had um, a lot of validation from our industrial customers and probably in the next month, we'll have some publicly available statements on that yeah yeah that's really exciting so you've essentially developed a sort of experimental plant this is this is the place that you're at currently where you've got your location plan and it's going through the whole process on a smaller scale but then you're working with a multitude of partners to explore and what you see as the long-term vision is replicating that, but to specific locations that are well-suited and have those three aspects needed, the, um, the plant itself, but then the CO2 source, the waste source, and the customer, the customer that can then manufacture the product. And you said within 100 kilometers, is that correct? Yes, I mean, that's... Um... That's a rule of thumb at the moment, and that's a 2023 um, assessment. And um, if that, that location is proximate to a port or a, a key rail line or a CO2 pipeline or a hub, then um, the carbon economics change. But I think it's just helpful to, um, as a rule of thumb to say, it has to be vaguely in the same area. Yeah, it does help. <laughs> um, because... 
you don't want to be creating um, carbon negative um, magnesium carbonate in the middle of nowhere and then losing all of the carbon benefits by having to freight it, um, you know, hundreds of kilometres away. So, you know, the, the localization aspect is going to be key in order to make sure that we're um, getting the maximum um, climate benefits out of what we do. And within this model that you've kind of got in mind, do you have a sense of the scale of the businesses that would need to be involved? Yeah, so um, we're looking at um, the next plant that we'll build will likely be in the EU, and that will be around 50,000 tonnes of CO2 per annum. And that's um, that's quite a, um, a viable um, plant looking like. Um, and then anything from there is getting um, more economically favourable. Um, common plants that we will build with customers will be um, from the 100 to 250,000 tonnes of CO2 per annum. And then we are also, um, we're, we're scoping out a plant at the moment um, and understanding the viability of a 2 million tonne of CO2 per annum plant. And it can actually go up to even larger, like in the 20 million tonnes of CO2. Well, so, um, for one plant. Yeah, in one in one plant, in one location. Yeah. And uh, you really unlock those opportunities if you are looking at carbon hubs um, and um, different industries coming together as well. So um, I hope that that answers your question okay. It does. Yeah, so <laughs> it's, it's very broad. Uh, the potential is obviously um, enormous. So you you mentioned about the the fact that carbon credits, carbon markets are sort of a cherry on the top of all of this, which is in itself quite an interesting aspect because that in some instances the only motivation to to drive businesses towards net zero. Mm -hmm. So you're building a very unique motivation for companies. Do you feel that that sort of it has the potential to really evolve evolve the the drive towards net zero when i joined mci when we received our first nine million dollars worth of funding um, we actually had an emissions trading scheme in australia and uh there was a real impetus um and a, a legislative penalty for um, industrial companies to look at look at their emissions, stop their emissions, and also um, understand what they would um, do to decarbonize. And so um, we we had a real clear mandate with our um, potential customers back then. Um, and then the uh, our government changed, and the emissions trading scheme was repealed. Um, and uh, we had a very unclear time um, from 2014 onwards for a while, a very long while. Um, and what I'll say about that is that um, I, having a price on carbon has, uh, provides a really clear policy certainty and a clear direction to companies and to um, carbon technologies that are trying to build and grow. Um, so we we were very clear um, in that um, very, very turbid time um, that we couldn't rely on a carbon price because so many things can change in the global economic environment. Um, so we really focused on our downstream value in order to, um, to have a viable business model because um, carbon price can change, um, things can be taken away from you pretty quickly. Um, and so we're really grateful that we did that because it's um, really set us apart from um, a lot of our, um, a lot of the alternative technologies that exist um, that you know, um, do just rely on a carbon price in order to be viable. Um, we just don't see the access to capital as being um, being enough in order to scale. Um, the other thing is that the other technologies, some other technologies that exist, they rely on carbon economics that stipulate having free renewable 
energy as the input into their technology in order to be viable. Um, and we really haven't um, done anything like that. So our, our life cycle assessments are based upon um, really reasonable um, scale out um, um, access to um, a variety of different um, energy inputs. And so that's um, based upon the different locations. It may be, um, you know, with, with some gas fired power, etc. with still um, a carbon sink, still carbon negative, even um, not relying on renewable energy. So then when we do scale out with our customers, they've got um, really reasonable and realistic expectations about what um, our technology can deliver. And then when there is ubiquitous free renewable energy, then that's also just adding to our, um, our, um, our economics. Um, and so I think it's just really important to be very open about the way that you do those equations because, um, yeah, you just just can't rely on ubiquitous free renewable energy as an input in order to be um, carbon negative. Yeah, absolutely. It's just not where we're at right now. Um, so these these are profitable business models in and of the actual process itself, not because of the sequestering of the carbon. That's right. Um, you know, in, in obviously with the caveat that different locations have different economics, but yes, um, by and large, that's the the rule of thumb. Yeah, fantastic. So, um, can I also just? I don't. I didn't. I forgot to mention before that um, the the carbon block that I carry around um, as the example of, you know, touching the carbonate and understanding that this used to be CO2 and now it's a building material. I can build my house out of it and I can turn it into profit. Um, I took a, um, a suitcase of those bricks to Glasgow to COP26 and got to showcase them there and um, also um, competed in the Net Zero Technology Centre COP26 pitch battle. And there were 2,700 companies that entered into that. And um, we actually won first place. So the number one um, pitch at COP26. And um, I, I think that that's, uh, that's notable because of the way that mineral carbonation technology can be placed as a decarbonization black box into many different industries um, to unlock low carbon pathways for many different outputs. And I think it's that broad applicability that was the reason that we won. And um, also obviously talking about business models and the amount of money that can be made um, in this industry. Because at last assessment, um, in 2017, so I think there have there have been um, surely updates, but the um, the source I can cite um, in 2017, the industry was worth 5.9 trillion dollars um, for carbon utilization um, applications, and so that's it's at least that. It's probably much more than that now, but um, in any case, there there is a lot of money to be made from carbon embodied materials from from um yeah carbon utilization technologies yeah you're making it both um relevant and attractive to so many different people um that's that's really exciting and i know you've received an awful lot of um recognition for for the work that you've done already maybe we could sort of wrap things up a little bit and and touch on that yeah, well, um, yeah, so the biggest one is the COP26 pitch battle. Um, that was uh, great because we also won the audience choice. Uh, so uh, I have to say, like, as a, a personal career highlight, that was amazing because um, the world's cement steel mining companies had all committed to net zero by 2050, but None of them really knew how they were going to do it. They just made the pledge, but the path to action wasn't clear. And so COP26 was a real starting gun for us. 
and uh, that was simply wonderful. Um, and since then, we have won um, just a, an array of awards, um, particularly the um, the Banksia Sustainability Award in Australia. Um, we we took out the the number one um, circular economy technology there, um, and we are um, in the in the running for a number um, that may be announced in 2023. Um, so both both grants and awards. And we absolutely don't do what we do for um, the awards or the accolades, but it is so important to be able to communicate the full carbon economics upstream and downstream, your scope one, two, and three emissions. Um, and we feel like if we're able to stand up and say, this is how we do it, this is how it's been embedded in, in our core business from day one, then it does provide a pathway for other innovative technologies that are um, coming up through the technology readiness level to really understand that it can be done and that it can be funded um, and you can get customers and uh, and investors using that um, that pathway. So that's why we've been really really um, we've entered in, into a few of the awards. And by the way, it uh, really makes our our staff buoyant as well. Um, so we're, we're always looking for more people to join the team. If anybody does like the sound of MCI Carbon, please do get in touch because we're growing pretty quickly at the moment. That's wonderful. Yeah, thank you. It's been hugely informative to learn about this. And it's, it's something that isn't always easy for people to get a grasp of um, what happens in an industry and how do we approach those pledges that have been made. And I think you've done this fantastic job of, of helping people to connect into it and, and find an understanding. You've, you've kind of moved through the success of the development site and the demonstration site that you've got and, and really demonstrated that, that this works, this is ready now for the world. And you sound like you've got a lot of partnerships lined up um, and sort of going through the process of that. How do people learn more and how are you looking for particular people to get involved? Yes. So um, one, we're always looking for um, the right values aligned people to join our team to help our company grow. We, although our, um, although our technology has been demonstrated to be viable at the stage that we're at, we still have to grow through the valley of death. We're not there yet. So, um, you know, in clean technology, um, it's been reported that it's not a valley of death. It's three valleys, if not a canyon of death. So, um, uh, so it's just extremely important to have the right people on your team, um, also the right funders. We, um, we need access to capital. Um, we're, you know, we're always raising capital from people who are looking to fund our pathway. And it's not, um, it's not as easy as just one, two, three. It's really understanding the, um, the, the compatibility of the capital and the technology, and it takes time to do that. So if people feel like they are, um, they understand it and, and want to know more, then please um, do get in touch. But the biggest thing that people can do is really understand that low carbon, um, um, low carbon intensity and negative carbon intensity products exist and use your wallet to, um, to vote for those products to be um, one, available on the market and two, the, the products that you choose. Um, at the moment, um, carbon intensity of products isn't really communicated because there's not a lot of integrity around the information and, um, and um, customers don't really understand um, the, the full um, scopes of the emissions. We need that to change and we need um, the information to start being pulled through into um, consumer choice. Um, and that will be both from people and also from governments um, um, legislating that to be um, to be something. So people need to be voting on uh, voting with their money on carbon 
low-carbon products, voting with their money on low-carbon products, and uh, that would be the biggest help for MCI. That's wonderful. Well, best of luck with everything. It's, uh, yeah, really interesting to learn, and, yeah, I hope it all goes fantastically well. It's been an absolute pleasure, Helen. Thank you so much for allowing me to talk you through where we're at and to, um, yeah, get to know your, your listeners a little bit more. So that's, that's fantastic. And thank you for listening to this episode of We Are Carbon. New episodes are added every other Tuesday, so don't forget to subscribe to keep up to date. It's a huge help to the show if you'd like to add a thumbs up or a review on whichever platform you're listening on. And let's keep figuring this all out together.